Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's time once again for FOMO Friday. Yes, we love to make sure that you don't have that fear of missing out, especially if you're not listening to the propaganda media anymore by bringing you the stories that you may or may not have heard about. And you know, I I have I've had leftist leaning liberals take objection to when I say that they are Marxists. Yes, leftists will promote and and support policies that many times are the very thing that Karl Marx and others espouse to. Our first story today is just another example of this. From a series of articles from the Daily Wire comes this one. It says, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, the pioneers of modern socialism, insisted that every adult member of society be, as they called it, liberated from parental work and instead fill socially productive roles. Mao Zedong of of, uh, China embraced this doctrine and declared that, quote, in order to build a great uh, socialist society, it is of the utmost importance to uh, arouse the broad masses of women to join in productive activity, unquote, which would, would foster as he put it, genuine equality between the sexes. Now notice that here in just a few words, the work of bearing and raising human beings is labeled unproductive activity that women must be emancipated from so that they can you know, equally contribute to mankind's economic security. Marx and Engels also promised that Equalizing workplace participation would launch large amounts of money into the economy, facilitating equality and and uh, and, and make entire societies prosperous. This this was their big goal, right? This was what they touted that uh, would happen if we would follow their lead into socialism and communism. Now, the Biden administration has added its voice to the chorus calling for every able-bodied female to join the work of contributing to the GDP. Now, what is the GDP? That is the um, acronym for Gross Domestic Product, and it is the the total monetary or or market value of all the, the finished goods and the services produced within a country's borders in any specific time period. It's, it's kind of like what your personal worth is. So if you were to add up all of uh, what you had in the bank and, and, and what you had bought, what the value of the things that you have and you minus the, the, the debt that you have, that would be your personal worth. And that's kind of like the same thing for a country. Uh, they just call it the GDP. Now, recently, the Biden administration launched an initiative called the U.S. Strategy on Global Women's Economic Security. At the launch meeting, Jennifer Klein, who is the director of the White House Gender Policy Council, said that we must all work to, quote, achieve our shared vision for women's full and equitable participation in the global economy, unquote. 
Now, she also said that studies show that closing gender gaps in the workforce could add between $12 and $28 trillion, so $12 trillion and $28 trillion in global GDP over a decade. This is a straight right out of the Marxist book. And and it is, is, is it really our shared vision for every woman to work outside the home? Is that really our shared vision? Security of uh, uh, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken reiterated these these uh, sentiments by saying the strategy that we're putting forward at, has at its heart a simple vision: creating a world in which all women and girls everywhere can contribute to economic growth and global prosperity. That's a world in which we will all be better off. Closing the gender gap in the workforce by 2025 would add up to $28 trillion to the global economy. So do you hear in here, do you hear the disdain here for those that choose to sacrifice and invest in their children at home? So far, by Team Biden is is two for two on the Ingalls plan, right? Number one, the, the call for women's full and equitable participation in the economy. And of course, number two, promise that affluence will follow, that money is just going to be falling out of the sky. But what about the kids? If everybody is participating fully and equitably in the, in the public workforce and no one is available to shepherd their own children, well, who will raise up humanity? Who's going to raise the kids? Well, Ingalls has the answer. And he said that in a socialist society, quote, the care and education of the children becomes a public affair. It takes a village, right? And society looks after all children alike. That's what he said. Now, Klein appears to be familiar with Marx and Engels and and their philosophy because because her next demand was for governments to ensure women's economic security by, quote, improving care infrastructures, unquote. Blinken said the same thing. Governments must strengthen the foundational support, child care, elder care, that allows women to participate equitably in the economy. But how will the world's governments provide free and and low-cost daycare services for everyone? Such an undertaking would would certainly cut into the wealth that is supposed to materialize for women and women's full participation in, in the economy. Well, Enter the World Bank, (laughs) the the U.S. strategy on global women's economic security says the, quote, the U.S. government has partnered with the World Bank and is leading diplomatic engagements to encourage partnerships in the uh, recently launched Global Investment in Child Care Initiative housed at the World Bank, which will expand Expand access to quality childcare and early learning programs globally. Unquote. So the World Bank, a, a financial institution within the the United Nations system, actually, 
boasts the the primary goals of ending poverty and and promoting shared prosperity. It it pursues these aims by lending a or or granting money really to different countries in an effort to redistribute wealth and initiate uh, initiative participation in their in in, uh, uh, in in their programs and their initiatives. Their new child care initiative, Invest in Child Care, they call it, launched just within the last year. Incidentally, in 2014, the World Bank signed an agreement with BlackRock, a major driver of ESG investing. We've done a a couple podcasts on ESG. Now, the program's wording uh, reveals the the, uh, priority behind it. Child care, this is how they they word it, child care has the potential to yield multi-generational impacts by improving women's economic uh, empowerment child outcomes, family welfare, business productivity, and overall economic growth, unquote. It goes on to say that not only does childcare enable mothers to participate in the labor market, but that for children, quality childcare can provide a a critical input uh, needed during the early years to build the foundational skills that will help them succeed in schools and throughout life. So, in other words, government daycare not only separates the child from the parent, it also allows the indoctrination of the child. Now, child care may very well enable mothers to participate in the workforce. I'm not saying that it doesn't do that. And many mothers may need or even want to just do that. I'm not, I'm not coming against that either. But it is a government's responsibility to facilitate child care for everyone, is it? Many may also question whether data supports the claim that quality child care in the early years provides a critical input into the child's needs. I I can provide lots of data that says the opposite, that it does absolutely no good, that maybe they might get a head start in, in some of these, particularly the Head Start programs where a lot of federal money is being dumped into. But by the time they get to the third grade, they're no different. Now, to bolster their position, a major element of the World Bank Initiative is to make the case for childcare through data collection as facilitated by the OECD and other actors. Additionally, the World Bank plans to leverage development policy lending, which essentially pays, for, pays governments for policy reforms. I mean, they say we will identify a set of child care policy reforms which could trigger payments to countries and to enable that the children of the world are in good hands. The World Bank will launch quality assurance initiatives, including quality standards and regulation and monitoring systems. Again, let me interpret this for you, okay? If you do what we want you to do, we will give you money. That's what's going on here. It's simply if you if you guys will it will set up the, these these child care uh, systems and where everybody is is all the kids are in child care we'll give you a bunch of money. 
the World Bank says governments must act immediately to fulfill their duty to provide universal child care. Solutions are needed urgently. Governments need to ensure that child care is available, affordable, and decent quality and meets the needs of all families, unquote. So in short, the Biden administration has declared that universal daycare and child care, actually, is the key to unlocking women's untapped potential to contribute to the GDP. It has partnered with the World Bank to make child care universally available and to pay countries for complying with their policy requirements. They will also produce data showing that child care provides the best outcome for children and will use the regulation and monitoring systems to influence how child care centers are run. And to put a fine point on it, a global child care scheme has been launched with the objective of getting little children away from their mothers and fathers and convincing parents and society at large, really, that this is a great idea that, that will empower women and enrich children and save the world. This U.S. strategy is in line with what one early Russian socialist said. He said to oblige the mother to give her child to the Soviet state, that is our task. He explained that to get mothers to surrender their children, the government would provide comprehensive care centers for all children where they would be supervised by trained uh, pedagogical and medical personnel who would fulfill the, the children's education and the uh, physical, social, emotional needs for essentially the, the first two decades of their lives. What mother could resist this great deal for her child, right? And to make this, this dream a reality, either in the 20th century Russia or in the United States today, women and, and society must be convinced that unpaid mother, mothering is socially unproductive work. You, you, I can't believe that you would even want to do such a thing. And that mothers can be successfully replaced by paid caretakers. People must be convinced that raising money is more important than raising children. And that supposedly swelling the GDP by trillions of dollars is worth the price of selling our children's souls to the World Bank. It is a fact that some women find themselves in difficult straits and that their, their young children would, would be better off in, ch in childcare uh, rather than alone or in, in unsafe situations. But have the holders of the purse strings at the World Bank considered whether making early childcare the universal default could have any ill effects at all? Politically left-leaning psychologist Erica uh, uh, Commissar, uh, with 25 years of experience in private practice, says this, says that, a major societal issue of our time is the effects of maternal absence on our children. Commissar uh, observes that there have been a, a dramatic increase in emotional, social, and behavioral difficulties like ADHD, anxiety, depression, and increased aggression in children from toddler, uh, toddlerhood through adolescence. She says there is there are connections between these disorders and the absence of young children's mothers in their day-to-day -day lives. And the UN, the Biden administration, and the World Bank 
their their alignment with Karl Marx and Engels should concern those who wonder whether these institutions are purposely trying to distance children from their parents. Ingalls described the end result of the full and equitable participation of women in the workforce and the chillingly stark terms. He said this, the first condition for the liberation of the, uh, of the wife is to bring the whole female sex back into public industry. And this, in turn, demands that the characteristic of the monogamous family as the economic unit of society be abolished. As this plan to commandeer the youngest among us in the in the same I'm sorry in the name of economic security unfolds, I foresee a, a global avalanche against motherhood and and the family. That's just simply going to come. The U.S. Uh, administration in cooperation with the World Bank and, and other partners, uh, is planning to normalize, glamorize, and incentivize surrendering our youngest ch- children to a global child care regime while parents fade into the background as simply just stakeholders in their children's futures. Prioritizing motherhood while one's ch- children are young is not a cop-out. It is not refusing to contribute to the GDP. There is no GDP without capable humans to populate a capable workforce. And there is no capable humans without mothers. If we remove the work and the value and the influence of mothers, we cut off the branch all of humanity is sitting on. The World Bank wants to buy your children. Don't sell them. You see, God created the institution known as the family, and that is why we see so many attacks on it. The family is a threat to their indoctrination. It it has to go. It, It can take on many forms, this attack, from convincing women to not have children in the first place to giving them up to the government if they actually do have them. And speaking of people under attack, I have, I have maintained for a while now that in this country, in, in particular, we have black privilege. Yes, we have black privilege. The, the race or, or people group that is discriminated against the most are whites. And for example of this, and just another example of this, comes uh, this article where it says a group of students at multiple campuses, um, circulated a list of horrific anti-white slurs in a student group chat. This list of more than 250 racist names for white people was leaked by an Auburn University student earlier this month. The list was shared on a group chat connected to Auburn's Black Student Union on the messaging app GroupMe. The university said in a statement to the College Fix on Monday that it is investing, uh, investigating sorry, the chat and has known about it for nearly a month. Auburn University student Jaden Hurd leaked the list to Turning Point USA, although he said that he originally obtained the list from a whistleblower inside the chat. Now, the list contains 265 names and are anything but a joke. 
I mean, several of the most egregious slurs include things like yeast maggots. That's yeast maggots. Plantation Barbies. A few of these you you almost have to think about for a while. Um, Mutated vermin. Colonizers. (laughs) That's one that everybody, they they love to use against white people. You're a colonizer. Albino ape. Albino rats. Diseased albino monsters. Mayo sapiens. That's one you have to think about. Mayo sapiens. Mayo being white mayonnaise. Uh, Klu Klux Karen. You have to kind of, that one doesn't really roll off the tongue. Uh, Walking corpse. Mockery of humanity. Diseased Neanderthals. Not meant to exist. That's a slur for whites. Products of incest. And how about cousin lovers? The list, the list was entitled Creaker's Name, Creaker Names. Now, yeah, it's not not cracker. <laughs> Creaker names. Creaker is, and I didn't even know this until just recently. Creaker is just another slur for an old white person. <laughs> the the list also appears to include international students. It includes the the name Ready Salted Crisps without MF salt. Now that that's a British term for potato chips, the crisps, and. White wallabies, <laughs> which is a reference to the Asian um, mammal. Uh, it's, <laughs> white wallabies, probably my, my favorite one on the whole list. But anyway, uh, screenshots from the group chat after a list was shared indicated that the students intended to use the list to insult white people on campus. Here's the Google Docs and the name of the, the Neanderthals, one of the students said. Speaking to the College Fix, Adam said that the Auburn that Auburn has known about the chat since January 17th and is currently investigating the matter. So, so let me just ask one question here, okay? If there was a list of slurs for black people or Asian people or whatever, right? Do you think that they would still be investigating this? <laughs> Not a chance. A, a unsurprisingly a unsurprising announcement was made this week. When Nikki Haley, a former ambassador to the United Nations, jumped into the 2024 presidential race on Tuesday, and she's becoming the first Republican to officially challenge former President Donald Trump for the GOP nomination. Now, Haley, 51, has been out of public office and, for the most part, out of public eye for several years. She uh, last served in the office as Trump's uh, ambassador to the United Nations before leaving the administration at the end of 2018. And she um, she leaned on the that experience in a video announcement uh, that proclaiming her candidacy on, on Tuesday. She said, I have seen evil in China. They commit genocide in Iran. They murder their own people for challenging a, 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 uh, the government. And when a woman tells you about watching soldiers throw her baby into a fire, it puts things into perspective. Even on our worst day, we are blessed to live in America. That's what she said. And she stated a need for a new generation of leadership, which is a kind of a possible swipe at the two leading contenders for president in 2024, Trump, and, and who's, of course, uh, who is 76 at, the, at this time, and President Joe Biden, who is 80. 
Now, Haley's decision to run for president is a reversal of a statement earlier, said she would not run uh, if if uh, Trump was going to run. Um, but she she did reverse herself on this. Uh, and, and she's Haley, who's who's born. She, she was born um, uh, Nimrat Nimrata Nikki Randhawa, who is, is the daughter of an Indian immigrant, actually two Indian immigrants. And was raised uh, as a um, as a Sikh in the Sikh faith. She converted to Christianity after marrying Michael Haley in 1996. And after graduating from uh, Clemson University, she worked for her family's dress and fashion business before launching a bid for uh, South Carolina's legislature in 2004. Um, riding the wave of the Tea Party support into into office, Haley signed uh, uh, some new laws that cracked down on illegal immigration and moved South Carolina uh, off Common Core education standards, which is a really good thing. South Carolinians um, responded by reelecting her um, to a second term in office in 2014, and uh, and of course, you know, the rest is history. Now. Um, in uh, in 2016, Haley stood against a Republican-backed bill that would have blocked people from using a bathroom that differed from their biological gender, so that's not so good. Uh, Haley helped kill the bill and brought uh, her state under fire from progressive activists and lawmakers who said that the legislation was anti-trans. Um, Haley left uh, uh, South Carolina and moved to New York in 2017, of course, in order to be the ambassador. Uh, Haley said that uh, that she was leaving the administration when she left uh, being the ambassador because of fatigue. And Haley spent two years as the U.N. ambassador uh, after her time uh, at South Carolina as South Carolina governor. And the ambassador wanted to take a break from her rigorous schedule. And so she she's done so. And she like I say, she kind of fell off the map there for a little while. Uh, much of her time after leaving office was spent heading up her conservative advocate group, um, Stand for America, and a political action committee under the same name. Now, the organizations have served as a, a repository for some of her most trusted advisors from her political career. I'm sure they'll probably help her in her run for president. Um, though out of office, she she did not stay out of the public eye, though, entirely. She sat for several interviews with Politico uh, during which she said Trump could never uh, run for office again after um, the what happened on January 6th. She said, I don't think he's going uh, to be in the picture, she said. I don't think he can. He's fallen so far. Um, and so uh, with that, she has uh, thrown her hat into the ring. So, you know, it is interesting. She's, she's an interesting candidate and, and one to really keep your eye on as the 2024 campaign season unfolds. And lastly today, we have seen so many reports of spy balloons and UFOs in the skies over the U.S., but some may have now been explained. From the UPI, it says a string of lights in the sky that that prompted reports of UFO activity on social media were actually Starlink satellites, experts say. The line of light spotted over the state, uh, over different states uh, on Sunday night, sparked speculation on social media that UFOs were flying over the area. Uh, we actually saw them uh, where, where, uh, where we live in the, in the Pacific Northwest. We saw the Starlink uh, satellites uh, up there the other day. We stopped and we, we watched it. It was kind of, kind of a neat deal. 
And experts said that the lights were actually Starlink satellites launched into orbit on Sunday evening. Quote, they launch a whole train of satellites and you're actually seeing individual little satellites, but they're all in this row. And, and that's why it looks like this bright line in, in our sky is what Rene Kerrigan, uh, who's the curator at, uh, uh, at uh, Science of Science and um, Planetarium Director at the uh, Peoria Riverfront Museum. This is what she told WEEK-TV. Now, Kerrigan said that the, the lights will likely be visible again on Tuesday night, um, which is, I think, actually what we... Uh, uh, what we might try to go see this coming Tuesday, and uh, and and because it's kind of a neat deal, it really is. Um, you know, they they move they move fairly quickly uh, through. You have to kind of watch watch for them, but they they move uh, fairly quickly across the sky. You can see them uh, in their in their pattern and in, in their lines, so you kind of know uh, what they are. And and uh, my our our uh, oldest uh, said, "Hey, look! It looks like a shooting star. It, it's they don't they don't move that fast, but." She thought so anyway, and so we were able to uh, to identify and kind of kind of catch those in the sky. They're not UFOs; they're just simply um, uh, they're just simply satellites. So, um, so I don't know. Maybe you have uh, you've seen them. Maybe uh, you maybe you've seen some reports of UFOs that you'd like to share with us. Uh, we we would love to take a look at what uh, you have to offer, and you can of course uh, do that. You can you can send those stories. Um, you can tell us what you think. Um, you, you, maybe there's there maybe there's a story you would like us to cover on our new uh, on our next uh, FOMO Friday uh, report. Uh, would love love to see, uh, see that and hear from you. Of course, you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Organite Communications.